Melina mai me ke aloha e nā makamaka e hoʻolohe mai nei a Kaleo o Kauluau. Wahi a kahiko, he lā lā kau kona kona haki ole i ka pā a kamakani kona. He i kaika ka poe manu, e alo alo ana i nā hoʻopilikia ana o kei au. Oia ke kumuhana o kei alā. The olelono eau or puaraku saying that Lei just shared references a tough branch that doesn't break even in the strongest of kona winds. We can take this to refer to the strength of our manu, our native birds who perch on such branches, the strength that they must possess as they confront challenging conditions of every kind. In this episode, we continue our focus on the well-being of our manu friends. Welcome to Kaleo Kauluau. Our current season of Kaleo Kauluau highlights our deep connections with our avian cousins, the native birds of Hawaii. All season long, members of a group called Ahui Manu will be joining us to share about this connection between Kanaka and Manu. Ahui Manu is a group of people dedicated to our collective recollection and reaffirmation of our ancient and contemporary bonds with the Manu people, the native birds of Hawaii Maine. With each episode, our Meokipa, our guests, will lift up the names, characteristics, and places associated with particular native bird species, including their appearance in an oli that's composed to celebrate each one and their relationships with life forms Mauka and Makai. Many of the birds are grouped together by their superpowers that each Meokipa will introduce. Today, we have the privilege of having Brett Nainoa Mossman join us to share about the superpower called Island Resilience, with special attention to the Ne Ne. Elepayo, and Amakihi. Drew, would you like to do the honors? Hiki no. Brett Nainoa Mossman is the avian biologist for the Hawaii Island Natural Area Reserve System. He has a master's degree in tropical conservation biology and environmental science from the University of Hawaii at Hilo and a bachelor's degree in wildlife ecology from Utah State University. Brett grew up in Utah, but his family is originally from Hawaii. Brett found his passion for Hawaiian birds while attending the Ho'omaka'ika'i Explorations Program and strives to restore native bird populations so that our sustainable cultural practices can also continue to be perpetuated. Until then, Brett brings the world of Hawaiian birds into our everyday lives through his Birds Hawaii Past Present social media pages. Mahalo, Drew. Let's go over to Brett now. Aloha, Brett. It's good to see you. Welcome back to Kaleo Kauluau. Yeah, aloha. Thank you for having me again. Nice to see you again, Brett. We're really happy to have you again. Yeah, thank you. And it sounds like today you're going to share a little bit about uh, the resilience of Manu. You know, for us, that's a very exciting, optimistic kind of message that we can have conveyed to our listening audience. So, mahalo nui. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think that's... um, Oftentimes with our native Hawaiian birds, you know, it, it, it can be kind of this story of, of loss. But I think, um, like you said, today we're going to really focus on how um, many of our birds have remained resilient in, in, in the face of all the changes that um, our aina and our forests have experienced over time. Um, and I think like one of the birds that exemplifies this the most is our elapayo. Um, so they're they're uh, a small little mostly brown forest bird and they're they're not related to our honey creepers they're actually a type of um, what's called a flycatcher um, and they are found there's three species one is found on Kauai one is found on Oahu and then one is found here on Hawaii Island and on all three islands um, they are still persisting even even on Oahu with all the urban development and invasive species and things like that, they're still surviving on, on that island. They are listed as endangered there. Um, 
but they've been able to persist and they're even surviving in these really heavily invaded like strawberry guava forests where there's very little native plants left. The elopio is still um, holding out uh, really well, you know, and like they're even nesting in things like Clydemia, you know, there's the coster's curse that everybody don't, doesn't like. They've found elopio nests in wow. Clydemia on Oahu, you know, so they're, they're, they're learning how to take advantage of these new resources. Um, and one of the coolest things that they've seen with Elopio on Oahu is they actually will take ants. Um, they'll take ants and they'll brush them through their feathers as a way to keep pests off of them because the ants produce what's called formic acid and it actually will help kill some of the feather mites and things that would um, damage the Elopio's feathers. So within the last few hundred years, the Oahu Elopio has figured out that it can take ants and brush them in its feathers and create this new defense with this entirely new and, and what's often considered a very invasive species. So it's really heartening to see some of our, even our rare birds utilize these totally new resources. Uh, that's that's a, amazing. Yeah, like an, an, an amazing innovation. Like, yeah. who was the first bird that decided to try that out? Like, hey, I'm just going to rub these ants on me and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and then the other thing is, like, how did they pass that on? You know, like, how did that go from, like, one pair of birds to multiple? You know, it's like, it's a really neat example of cultural trait that is that is unique to the Oahu populations. Wow. So, yeah, very, very interesting thing. <laughs> You haven't seen it on other islands, though. For not not Ohio. yet. Yeah, not yet. Um, it's probably it could be happening, especially like here here on Hawaii Island. We have um, very low population, low elevation populations of elapio, particularly in Kona. Um, you can find elapio at less than a thousand feet um, over on that side of the island, and and that's kind of an interesting one because those forests are really invaded by like Christmas berry mm-hmm. and. Um, some of the other, like, like I'm trying to think, it's like Christmas berry, strawberry guava, and clydemia, you know, and, and the elopio are kind of like increasing in numbers in those, some of those lower elevation areas, which is really um, kind of a surprise from what we would expect, you know, for, for the birds. Um, and then like on Kauai, um, to, sorry to change the subject a little bit, like elopio are the only native forest bird on that island that are increasing. Um, and in some place in the interior part of the forest, they've actually been, in, they've increased by like 88%. Wow. Um, so yeah, so they're really, yeah, they're really rebounding, you know, and, um, on Oahu, it's been interesting too. So they, they've been declining pretty steadily through a lot of the area, particularly in the Waianae range. Um, but there's been some really innovative projects that are, um, doing a lot of rat control, um, and in those places, the elopio are just skyrocketing. You know, they're producing multiple clutches in a year, like all their babies are surviving. Um, and all it takes is just a little bit like of trapping rats and the elopio are doing really, really well. So that's um, more of a case of predation versus habitat loss or any other f- disease factors? Exactly. So that's the other really great advantage that the elopio have is they... Um, don't seem to be as susceptible to disease. So they'll get the diseases, but most of them will survive it. Um, so that's another area where they just manage to hold on to some of that genetic um, flexibility so that they can um, deal with the diseases a little bit better than uh, some of the other more susceptible native birds. Is that something that could be somehow replicated for other birds or no? Um, it, it possibly could, you know, by studying the Elopio's genome and their, and their immune response to malaria, we could potentially figure out what genes are responsible for malaria resistance. And then maybe when we're doing like 
captive breeding of other endangered honeycreepers, we could look for some of those same genes or those same expressions and then select for those birds, you know, try to make sure that those are the birds that are um, being bred in captivity for future releases in the wild. So that's one way we could do it. Um, that takes a lot of time and yeah. a lot of effort, but it would provide some really good insight into um, potentially how Elopio are surviving. And that 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 in itself provides some good information, useful mm. information for the more susceptible birds to, the, to um, disease. Hmm. Well, that's great that things are looking up for them, for the Elopio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and they're, you know, they're, they're still a bird that you can see pretty easily too, you know, like... Um, on Kauai uh, and Oahu, there's just the some of the closest ridge trails to town. You can see elapios. Like on Oahu, for instance, the Aiea Ridge Trail is a really great spot to see elapio. Um, the um, Willy Willy Nui Ridge Trail is another really good spot if there's not a bunch of Marines with a large with a speaker <laughs> blasting, <laughs> which happened to me. That like right right when a family of elapio came up, here came the Marines and away went the elapio. <laughs> So you don't always get to see them, but those are some really good spots to try to try to spot them, um, as well as some of the valleys. And um, if you can get up to Mount Ka'ala, you know, it's a really good spot for elapio. Um, and then in Kauai, pretty much anywhere in Kolke'e, you can get elapio. Even at the like visitor center, um, oh. you can still see uh, the elapio around. And and they they're pretty they're 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 really fun because they're a very curious bird. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll come right up to you. Like I've I've had some like I had a female elapio snatch a bug off the rim of my hat one time. Um, and it, I, I wish I had been able to stay still cause I, it startled because she just came right at me. Right. So I jumped. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wish I'd been able to just sit there cause then I could have had an elopio like sitting on my hat maybe <laughs> for a little bit, um, which would have been really nice. And then on Kauai, it's pretty fun. The juvenile elopio, which are like really salmon-y colored. They don't have the, the like gray and like more contrasty colors of the adults. They are really curious and really approach people. Um, to the point where like I've been walking through like whole eel fern and stuff on the ground on the forest floor and they'll come in and catch bugs as I walk by like almost like oh a, yeah that you stir up as you go exactly wow. so it's pretty it's pretty cool you know they they, they really are are an approachable species um, and on yeah. this island where what would be a good place to see Elepayo yeah so on this island there's also some really good spots I think the best spot is prob- probably the Pu'u'o Trail um, so it's just right off of Saddle Road and then up in the national park, up on the uh, Mauna Loa Access Road, you know, like up through all that koala forest, there's a lot of elapio in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two of probably the best spots where you can just drive right up to them. Um, and then otherwise, like if you're driving along the um, the highway, like through Kona, um, like kind of like more south Kona, uh, there's like any of those forests, like Manuka um, State Park and like Kipahoihoi Natural Air Reserve, which are right on the highway. If you you have to deal with a lot of mosquitoes, but if you stop at those places, you can get elapio right in those state parks and um, like at highway, right next to the highway. You know, so it's pretty pretty cool to see that they're still holding on in those places. And what about listening for them? Like, what sound might we listen for? If we were? So elapio, the they they are a bird that that says their name. Um, so that's one. So they kind of do this little like ella elapio elapio, and then they'll do this little sound and so those are the 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 main ones that you listen for when you're looking for them um and a lot of times if you mimic their little 
sound, they'll come right up to you as well. Check you out. Exactly. <laughs> so, and they're, cause they're like, they're very scrappy birds. Um, so like, and they're very, probably our most territorial native species. So they defend their territory really aggressively. So that's why when they hear another alipio, they always come in to check it out cause they're, they're trying to make sure that no one else is moving in on their area. Um, and that's part of the reason they're so curious about other things in their territory too, because they're always trying to pay attention to what's, what's in their, in their zone. And I don't know if you mentioned, but what is their diet mainly consist of? Yeah. So they're, they're mostly insectivores. So they eat almost entirely insects. Um, and elopio are really interesting because they, rather than just using one foraging technique, they do all kinds. So like they'll forage on the ground, they'll sally insects out of the air, which means they'll fly and catch bugs on the wing. Um, they'll creep along the branches and bark and pick bugs out of the bark. They'll leaf glean, like they, they'll do almost every foraging technique in the bird world. Um, so it's kind of, it's very interesting how they've, they've been able to just, they've been such a generalist, you know, when it comes to insect foraging, but they still, just like all the native birds, the most important foods for them are native moths and native spiders. Hmm. So moths make up most of their protein and then spiders are number two. Wow. And they have an association with, um, va'a traditions in Hawaii too, right? Canoe building traditions. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're a kinolau of, um... I can never remember her name off the top of my head, but uh, Akinolao of one of the Va'a deities. Um, and then they also, uh, there's there's stories of them uh, that where they have a heavy influence on the choice of mm -hmm. um, koa logs for making Va'a. Um, because the elopio being present means that the log is probably pretty buggy and Got isn't going to be bugs. very good. Exactly. For the, for the, for the longevity of the, of the Va'a. Is it Le'a, the, the deity that, they're associated with it might or is that the be, name you were thinking of i her we name have to keep this part boys. i know we might have to but her name starts with a k i can't like it's right well, one of them is kumoku halii there, there. Yeah. Oh. yeah there we go <laughs> thank you yeah um i didn't know that was a more feminine energy though or maybe yeah i can't remember oh yeah ah, shoot it's okay <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I can never remember her but, name. But there is there is more than Kumoku Hali'i. There is um, another one that the name is escaping me. Yeah. I, <clears throat> it's in the that, that story of like the um, Kolohe Elapayo. Mm -hmm. Her name is mentioned in there. Because um, I, I remember it being like a more feminine <laughs> energy. Can you go look for it first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, I can never remember that, the name. But yeah, but Elopio has a very significant role to play in that and, and, and mentioned in a lot of stories. Mm. But also the ano of the bird as far as being curious is mentioned in Mo'olalo. And yeah, I think there's a couple. Um, and like even in that Kolohe Elopio story, you know, it kind of like I think that really speaks to the curiosity of the Elopio because he comes and pokes the hole in the ipu, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and as part, like he wasn't trying to like steal the water. He was just curious about it. And then he broke it, you know, and had to pay the consequences. <laughs> Do they tend to fly around solo or in group flocks? Most or? of the time they'll be in little pairs. So it'll be like male and female. And then, or it'll be like a male and the juvenile and, the, and their keiki for the year or a female and the keiki for the year. Mm. Um, 
and and one thing that's really cool about El Apayo, um, I just I just kind of I just spoke about it earlier on on my Instagram actually, but they are one of the very earliest birds to wake up in the morning. I heard, mm. I saw that post and I was like, yeah. where where is this where is this from though? Where were you taking or sharing that manao from? Um, as far as this time of the morning, where like where what? Where were you standing for that? Yeah, so there I was standing in like in Laupahoehoe. La so it's oh. kind of like the 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 music forest on Mauna Kea. So and it, and the Elapayo, like they're not the earliest when Alala are around. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in the places where I've been, where Alala were present in the wild, the Alala was the first bird by quite a bit, like by minutes, you know. Um, and then came the Elapayo, Oma'o, Apapane, and then getting into your like Amakihi, Iivi, and some of the other birds. Mm. Um, so, but, but in, especially in those, in this time of year when it's like, cause this is kind of like the Elapayo breeding season right now is like this, this late spring. Um, they are really, really vocal. And they're like first thing in the morning, like before there's even a crack of dawn, they start calling. Um, so like, I think I mentioned it, like they would, they would start at as early as like 440, um, in Lapohoihoi over last week. Um, and then they would, they would be singing and calling probably about 20 to 30 minutes before any other native birds started, started calling. Um, and I, I almost wonder if part of it is Elapayo's sound gets kind of drowned out as like the Apopane cacophony starts going, you know, mm-hmm. just cause there's so many more Apopane than there are Elapayo in the forest that I think that might be why they call so early. Cause they want to like get their, sound out before all the other birds drown them out you know um but yeah so it's pretty interesting to to be in places where you just hear them like as the very first bird like they were almost my alarm while we were doing forest bird surveys <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great mahalo for sharing about El Payo. yeah you know and they're they're a fantastic bird and and they're really like i said they're a really easy one to get to know personally you know you can you can find them on pretty much every island except for maui nui for some reason El Payo skipped maui <laughs> Um, like even in the fossil record, there's no evidence of them being there. Um, it's kind of a, a weird fluke. Um, and, and the other really interesting thing is that the Hawaii Island Elapayo is actually more closely related to the Kauai Elapayo than mm-hmm. it is to the Oahu Elapayo. Um, so the ancestors of the Hawaii Island population likely came from Kauai rather than Oahu. So they managed to jump like four islands to get here, but huh. they never stayed on Maui. So mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting pattern Mm -hmm. so other than that i would say like i really encourage people to go out and try to find find elapayo and get to experience this this like bird that's doing well for yourself you know Mm -hmm. um and get to hear them and 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 they'll come find you too you know you just got to go go to the places where they are so but yeah and i think um from elapayo another some other birds that have been doing particularly well are um nene um, you know, they're our state bird and they were just very recently uh, downlisted from endangered to threatened, you know, just because of the the progress that has been made. Um, so back in the in the 1920s, there's only about 20 nene left in the in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And when they delisted them about two, two, I think it was two years, three years ago now, um, there were o- over 3000, you know, so nene have made a, a pretty major comeback from from their historic lows. And there's still a long ways to go before they reach the point where they were um, before their declines. Uh, but uh, hopefully through continued management and and more and more um, community uh, involvement in the Nene management, we'll, we'll start to see them come back even more. And I think that's that's been the most exciting thing with Nene is they're 
in our in our neighborhoods mm -hmm. now, you know, like from Kauai to Maui to Hawaii Island, like they are in backyards. Like my friend Anne had one land in her backyard, you know, and so it's like it's it's pretty exciting to see that, you know, and 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 that translates into where we can take immediate action ourselves to start protecting these birds. Um, so like one one thing that I've always envisioned is like is people like taking it into well let's see it's is people taking it into their own hands to basic to to malama manu you know because it's it's really they do it a lot in in Aotearoa where people basically will just trap predators in their own backyard you know because the probably the biggest threat to nene is mongoose because they eat a lot of their eggs mm. um besides like car car accidents and things like that um and so if people can take it upon themselves and remove mongoose from their yards, especially in places like Keokaha or um, around Kahului, you know, where there are quite a bit of nene, um, those goslings are much more likely to survive. Um, and so that's where I think like we can take it upon ourselves to really make a big difference for um, this native bird, you know, like they're doing good, but they could do a whole lot better if we gave them a little bit more help. So I think that we're really from, most of us are really familiar with Nene and what they look like and what they sound like. And what, would you be able to just share a little, a little portrait, a little audio portrait of what a Nene might be like? Um, sure. So Nene is another bird that's named after their sound and they're, they're not named so much out, like they, they have a couple of different sounds, but the one that they're mostly named after is they'll do this little like, and so that's where that Nene comes from. So that's kind of the, 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 the the origins of their name um and they're 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 a relatively small goose you know they're pretty small compared to a lot of the geese you'd see around the world um and they have just this beautiful patterned feathered neck so mm -hmm. they have like this this beautiful design that goes down their neck that just i think makes them one of the most beautiful geese you know they're just absolutely gorgeous birds and then they're they're built a little bit more upright, so they can stand really tall. They have a little bit longer legs than most geese, and then the webbing in between their toes is actually quite reduced um, because they've they've evolved to be more of a terrestrial or a land based goose. Um, and so you'll see them in a lot of places where you wouldn't normally see like more like Canada geese, for instance, if you ever visit the continent um, or some of the other geese, you know, because they're they're much more aquatic than our nene is. They, they eat a lot of native fruits, um, particularly ohelo is really closely associated with, with nene. And then they primarily feed on grass. So they're eating a lot. That's why they, that's why you see them a lot in golf courses. <laughs> cause that's, that's basically an all you can eat nene buffet, um, for them, you know, cause it's just all this beautiful, healthy green grass, um, that they really love, you know? And so like, that's where, um, you'll see a lot of them in kind of grassy areas and, uh, areas where there's like nice native berries and things like that. They really love kukai nene. You know, they eat a lot of that, especially in like Pu'umakala Natural Air Reserve. There's a lot of kukai nene and they just, they'll just be around eating berries all day long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so, so that part of that too is nene are, are important seed dispersers, you know, so they'll move a lot of those seeds around and help plant more uh, native, native mm -hmm. plants. Um, 
And and that's where we run into a little bit of conflict with Nene and people is that oftentimes people will feed them like bread and things like that. And Nene love it. They really love it, but it's not it's not very good for them. You know, they're they're really designed to eat plants and vegetation. And so when you give them bread, it can it's it's just like us eating junk food, you know. Mm. So it it might not hurt them immediately, but over the long term it's a it's a negative effect for them, you know. Um, so that's where like we, we really encourage people not to feed Nene. Um, they, they are perfectly capable of feeding themselves, especially in nice, big, open, grassy areas, you know, like parks where people typically feed birds. You know, Nene have plenty of grass to eat there. They're doing just fine. Um, and even even if they walk up to you and ask for food, you know, <laughs> you got to you got to be the bad guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Nene are um they're they're i think they're they're one of those few birds that are very present you know and we get to see them and interact with them um and you can see a lot of the the different ways that they behave you know that are like a little bit different than other birds you know they're i don't know like to me the like i think a lot of people can be kind of scared of nene because they're like oh it's a it's like a goose you know like mm-hmm. geese are scary but nene are pretty docile like they're not they're not generally gonna go after you or anything like that unless you're messing with their babies or their eggs and even then like usually they only chase you when you turn their back you turn your back on them that's when they chase you and as soon as you turn around they stop <laughs> <laughs> so mm-hmm. they're 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 definitely more of a, a easygoing um much calmer goose than you'd than you'd get from your domestic geese or your canada geese um, they're definitely not gonna like, I think Canada geese get called like Cobra chickens or something like that. <laughs> That's definitely not the nene. <laughs> oh, something you mentioned is, um, seeing them pretty much in grassy areas, for example, golf courses, um, do golf courses and places like that use herbicides or pesticides that might negatively affect nene? Yeah, that's definitely a, a possible risk factor. You know, we don't know a whole lot about how that's going to impact them in the long term. But just like with eating junk food, it's, it's probably not going to be great for them. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is that some of the golf courses that have been really good about working with Nene mm-hmm. have become like really important Nene nurseries. You know, like like a couple golf courses on the Kona side are producing hundreds of Nene goslings every year. That's you know? fantastic. Yeah, you know, and they're they're working, they're doing like some predator control, and they're like really opening up the golf course they're to the Nene. Actively trying to advocate for the Nene. That, exactly. that was kind of where I was going yeah. with that. If um, if they're aware of dangers, if they're willing to maybe forego those kinds of um, treatments to help our Nene. Yeah, I'm sure if we found like any kind of negative relationship with those kind of things, they would be willing to work with us, you know, and they, they've been, like I said, they've, for the most part, they've been really good. You know, there's always there's always going to be issues. And like one thing we do get a lot because there are so much Nene hanging out on golf courses is <laughs> you'll get like golf ball strikes and things like that. So like the <laughs> Nene will be injured. Um, but even some of the golf courses will help pay for the um, uh, rehab costs oh, for those Nene and things like that. Cutty. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's still not a perfect situation, you know, but because those golf courses are there, it's creating this new habitat that the nanny are being able to use. So it's kind of a, it's a catch in between, but right now the overall impact of the golf courses, at least for Nene is a positive one. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're producing more, ba- more babies on those golf courses than would otherwise be there and, and making up for any, caught any like loss of nene on those courses i mean ideally we would just have these like beautiful lush lawns that are kept just for nene and we have no golf there but um unfortunately that's not exactly the case that we have right now but we do have a couple places like that um on this island and on maui where we have um nene sanctuaries that are built specifically for nene 
Um, and they are kind of kept as like a mountain golf course, but for strictly for an nene <laughs> and no golf. <laughs> Just a nene resort. Exactly. Exactly. So, and they, and they love it there. <laughs> Do nene travel between these different places where they choose to live, these different habitats? Yeah, so they actually travel quite a bit, especially especially on this island, on, on Hawaii Island. Um, they oftentimes will spend a lot of their um, like their breeding season. They'll be at lower elevation and then come uh, more into the summer and winter. They'll go in up higher elevation um, and they, they, they'll flock around quite a bit. So like there's been some nene that have been tracked going all the way to Kau and then flying all the way up to Volcanoes National Park. And then all the way to the Kulani Correctional Facility, and then all the way to the Nene Pens, and then all the way to Waikoloa. Wow. You know, so the one bird will cover the whole island pretty regularly, but they'll typically always go back to the place where they nested, mm-hmm. um, especially the females. So the females, wherever they were born, they will go back to that place to have their babies. Mm. You know, so that's that's something that um, stays pretty consistent. But during the flocking season, they can show up almost anywhere. And occasionally we even will have some pop up on different islands. So like there was one time where a pair flew from, I think it was from Maui to Oahu, you know, and set up shop there for a little while. So they can cover a lot of ground. They don't do it very often, but that is possible. And something interesting that I heard, read, whatever, <laughs> I can't remember, but... um. Their, their pairings between the nene, they kind of pair for life. Is that true? Yes and no. So we're, we're a lot of, for a long time, it was assumed that a lot of birds paired like for life. But as we've gotten better at um, monitoring them and like putting like bands and things, they, they actually switch up more than you, than we'd think. Oh. Um, yeah. So, but for the most part, they will form long-term pair bonds. So like the male and female will stay together for years, sometimes decades. Um, but like, even if, uh, like one bird is separated from the other one for a short period, they will sometimes take, take a new partner and then they won't go back, you know? So, oh. so they kind of like, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're, um, Birds of of opportunity, I should say. <laughs> um, but for the most part, they do hold these long-term relationships. And especially if they have chicks together, you know, they're not going to just dig out. Mm-hmm. Um, they share the responsibility in, in it, taking care of the... Exactly. And, like, the female does a lot of the, like, incubation and, like, the teaching of the chicks. And the male is, like, the protector. So, like, they really stand guard and will defend the chicks from, like, cats and mongoose and dogs and, and people. <laughs> you know, the male is the one that's going to usually try to defend the, the, the nest and the young, young babies. Mm. Um, and then one kind of, uh, interesting thing with Nene is they're, it depends on how you view it, but they're either like kidnappers or they're, (laughs) um, they, they adopt children. Um, cause what, what will happen a lot of times, like for Nene from, from the biological side, the more chicks they have, the less likely any one of them is going to get eaten by a predator. And so what Nene will oftentimes do, so Nene are only capable of having four eggs at the, at the most. And so what they'll do a lot of times is they'll take chicks from other birds. Um, and it's, it's a little bit unclear if they uh, like adopt them or if they just full on kidnap them. But like, sometimes you'll see Nene with like 12, 13, oh, wow. 14 chicks and they only had four of them are theirs, you know? <laughs> so, 
But for them, it makes sense because the more that they have, the more likely therefore are going to make it, you know? Mm. And so it's, it's kind of become this thing where either they're adopting or they're kidnapping. But, and, and then there are some Nene, like, especially the younger birds, like when they're nesting for the first time, like they're not going to be very good parents. And so it makes sense for an older pair to take them. Like it gives the, the babies, those babies even a better chance at making it. Mm. Um, and we haven't, we don't know if this is the case for Nene, but for sage grouse, they've even found that, um, uh, some of the the baby sage grouse will leave their mom in favor of another mom if that mom is better. <laughs> wow. So like that could be happening for Nene as well. You know, like they're like, oh, this mom is like, she she fed me way better than you did. And so they're, they're like, they could, that could be happening as well. So there's a couple wow. of different explanations. They just but, emancipate oh, themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty crazy. But yeah, they've seen that in a couple other game bird species. So it's possible that that's happening with Nene. Is that something that has been observed for a long time or is that a new behavior? Uh, it, it's only recently discovered. So it's, it's probably happened for a long time, but we only recently figured it out because it's really hard. Like the baby chicks, like you can't really tell them apart, right? Unless they're like slightly different sizes. And sometimes you'll see that, like they'll be like really big chicks and really <laughs> small chicks with the same parents. And it's like, hmm, something, something's off here. <laughs> um, but so, so unless you're really tracking them close, you mm. won't really be able to see that. So that's something that would be really, really interesting to look at with Nene, especially in places like um, here in, in, in uh, Kona and Waikoloa Greens Golf Course, where there's just hundreds of baby Nene. It'd be really, really interesting to track them and see if any of them, like if the baby chooses to go to a different parent, mm. you know, that would be really, really um really fun science to, to engage with. And especially with like the community there, cause there's so many people around the golf course, you could have people help watch them, mm-hmm. you know, they can be all invested yeah. in the, the Get, whole story. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be the whole days of our lives for the nene, you know, the, the drama. <laughs> yes. It'll give them a reason to go to work sometimes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so Nene have a lot of really cool behaviors and things that like you wouldn't really expect from them. But um, but yeah, and they're just a very I don't know. I I they've always been one of my favorite favorite birds just because like that that's kind of my de stressor too. Like if I have a hard day at work or something, I'll go and sit at Wailoa Park and and watch the Nene. You know, it's just a really nice, pleasant thing. And you can just it's right there. You have native birds right here in Hilo. You know, and so it's it's a really nice nice thing to get out and and see and i I really that's another one like go find the yellow pile go find the nene you know and 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 again nene might find you first you know um both very exciting birds and they're both both like i said doing much better than than where they were in the past Mm -hmm. and it just shows that even even with all of the changes you know like just just like us our our birds are also resilient are you familiar with any um or with some of the mo'olelo or history of nene in Hawaiian culture? Um, you know, there's not a whole lot that I've encountered personally. Um, I know, like, yeah, there, I unfortunately, now that you mention it, yeah, I haven't seen a whole lot. I think, like, um, Malo mentions them as, like, a bird that is eaten. Mm. Um, but there's not a whole lot more that I have scene um i'm sure there's more out there especially in the in the new pep in the in the newspapers you know there's got to be tons of information there but it's just i think just people haven't found it yet you know mm-hmm. there's just so much stuff to go through um but one one thing that it, it wasn't preserved in uh mo'olelo that i know of but um it was actually preserved in the genetic makeup of nene themselves 
is that there was actually what appears to be a genetic bottleneck a couple hundred years ago on Nene, where they dropped down to potentially as few as like 20 20 females. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden they rebounded. So it seems like at some point there was a kapu or, or some other measure placed on them to let them recover because mm-hmm. they had declined really, really low. And then all of a sudden all of, they came right back. So it kind of, it almost looks like they're- Suggests. Like, yeah, something. it suggests, exactly. It suggests that there was some sort of kapu that was placed on Nene to allow them to recover. Because by the time Cook got here, there was an estimated 25,000. You know, so they went from like just a few dozen individuals to 25,000. So there seems to have been some sort of major shift in how um, people were working with or working around Nene, you know. So that's that's one example of um, uh, like just the birds themselves preserving mm-hmm. some some cultural information. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, but yeah, but other than that, that's 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 mostly what I'm familiar with. Um I was just wondering maybe if they were used in feather work. I don't know if there are examples. Yeah. I, but if not. Yeah, I don't think they were used too much. I know um, like more modern wise, like I've seen a few like um, Le Papa that are made with Nene feathers. Um, but yeah, I can't think of many instances where they were used because Nene aren't like a super colorful bird, you know, mm-hmm. so like, but I mean, some of their primaries would be kind of nice in some, in like some Kahili and stuff. They'd have a nice structure. Um but yeah, as far as I am aware, they, they weren't very commonly used. And so the ways that we can contribute to their growing resilience, like as people, is like we were saying, maybe just take take things, you know, upon ourselves to remove predators from our own, you know, neighborhoods and yards and, and areas where we live. Um, just be more aware of their presence and observe them as you were describing your own kind of like time to just chillax and watch the nene at Wailoa, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, are, are there any other things that we could do like as a large island community to support their I, I Honestly, rebounding? I think those are, those are the main things, you know, is just like really, like you said, kind of paying attention because one of the main, main threats to nene is, is, is road collisions. Mm. Excuse me. But, um, so that's, that's a big one where we could all make a pretty big difference, mm. you know, is just paying attention and watching for where the nene are going um and just being like nene aware in the places where there are nene so particularly in keokaha you know there's a lot of nene in that area nowadays and so like just really being careful on that road um because there's a pretty a tragedy there this year when um one of the females c10 um that was her band combination was hit by the and she was one of the one of the only ones that has nested at lokawaka in a really really Mm -hmm. long time and she was hit um by a car unfortunately um, so hopefully we can avoid things like that happening. Um, and I think that's where we can have more community engagement too, where we can like maybe convince the county to try to put in some speed bumps or something, you know, like put in some flashing signs for the Is nene. there signage? There's, there's two, there's two signs on either side of the pond. Um, but they don't flash or anything like that. So like maybe if they are flashing, I don't know, you know, just like a couple of things where that could, could change to, to, to help them out a little bit, you know, and then. Yeah, like I said, like there, if if you can, like, and you, especially if you live like coastal Kelkaha, if you can trap mongoose out of your yard, you know that would be a huge help for Nene. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, we've seen like mongoose sometimes they'll tag team, like two mongoose will come in at at a Nene pair and try to catch the chick. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like one will rush and then the other one will rush in, and the, the parents have a really hard time keeping them away from the from the babies. Um. But yeah, so that's 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 kind of the way that um, we can all help out, and I think even um, just just becoming familiar with the nene too, you know, like kind of uh, 
taking that time to go watch them and and build that connection that's another way that you can like it doesn't help them immediately but like hopefully that makes you an advocate for nene in the long term you know so i think those are all ways that you can you can help them you know and 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 then like i said they're here it's like all we have to do is give them a little bit of helping hand and then they'll be everywhere The third bird that I like to point out as a really good example of resilience is the amakihi. And this one in particular, because it's a native honeycreeper, you know, and that's the group that um, is so synonymous with extinction here. Mm -hmm. But they have been able to not once but twice develop resistance or tolerance to avian malaria. Um, So on Oahu, the population there has actually grown quite a bit. So there's about 60,000 amakihi on Oahu. You know, and you can get them, you can even get them in your backyards in like Manoa Valley, or if you live on any of the ridges, you almost certainly have had an amakihi in your yard. Um, so that's where like on Oahu, you can, just by planting native plants, you can really encourage um, amakihi to be in present in your space. Hmm. Um, and then here on Hawaii Island in Puna, the amakihi there have de- also developed either resistance or tolerance to malaria. And so like some of my coworkers, um, have amakihi in their yard. I'm very jealous. <laughs> um, and you can you can often hear them, you know, singing and calling and like the background of phone calls and stuff. Oh, and nice. It's, yeah, it's pretty cool, you know. And so it's it's a really nice example of uh, native birds um, being able to survive this really really harsh um, threat to them, you know. And 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 that's where like I really encourage people to plant native plants, mm-hmm. like whether it's wili wili or ohia or um, aali'i, you know, all these things provide. Um, nectar and shelter and insects for the for the amakihis to eat you know it's like even if you can just put one a'ali'i in your in like the tiny corner of your yard you know that's going to help native birds Um, and it's going to help create habitat for native insects and native spiders um and yeah so then and then then like like my coworkers, you can have (laughs) amakihi in your yards and i think the more that we continue to plant, like those those amakihi will expand out of Puna. You know, if we give them an avenue, they'll they'll keep coming. So it'll be really, really nice. Wait, what do what do amakihi look like exactly? Oh yeah, so so amakihi they're they're um, a mostly yellow bird, so they're kind of a bright yellow. The females are more of a drab green gray. And then they have a, a darker, like bluish tinted bill. It's most, I guess, gray, gray, blue. That's very slightly curved. And then the males will have this this really black mask that goes across their eyes. Mm. Um, and then their feet are the same color as their bill, kind of that bluish, blackish gray. Um, but yeah, so they're very, very pretty birds. And their their sounds are their sounds are a little tricky. But they they do a, a trill, so they're just kind of like choo 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 is their kind of their song and then their call, which they actually get a lot of, um, a lot of like, I don't want to say heat, but a lot of like, they kind of feature prominently in, in some mo'olelo as like being very naggy. Um, and they like <laughs> scold people in stories because they have this kind of like Mwee! call and it's kind of has this like nasally, like you're scolding somebody. <laughs> and so that kind of has translated into some of our stories. Um, and so that's how you'll, those are the kind of their sounds and their appearance and what, what you'll see. And they're, they're kind of another generalist species. So you can see them doing a lot of things. So they'll, they're never going to catch bugs on the wing really, but they'll creep along bark. They'll be in the trees. They'll feed on nectar. 
you know, so you'll see them doing a lot of things. I've even seen them um, feed on fermented koa sap. Um, so it's kind of the closest thing that they can get to beer out there. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll see like koa trees will just be like foaming because every once in a while they'll get some sort of infection and it causes their sap to ferment and it'll like foam. And the amakihi just love it. Like there'll be like four or five amakihi all feeding off of this one little koa sap spot. <laughs> 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 the tavern in the forest. Exactly. <laughs> That's so. interesting, though. That's an interesting um, observation. And to have something like that, you have to be in the forest and you have to be able to see it. So we got to get out into our open spaces or forests and um, develop these pilina with our manu. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that's the biggest thing. You know, it's like you, you can see all this stuff. It's not it's not that difficult, especially with Amakihi. Um and I think like just taking that time to kilo the birds, you know, it's just like you, you get so much value out of it, you know, and like even even just from like they, there's been a bunch of new studies recently where they're like people who bird like have generally have like better mental health and like things like that, you know. So it's like it's not only are you helping the birds, but you're also helping yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and I think the more that um, we plant native plants and the more that we see native birds around us, you know, I think it's going to um, give us a better avenue into those kind of things you know mm -hmm. like really improving like our outlook and our mental health by having these native species around us you know i know mm -hmm. i think that's like for me like i said i go and see the nene you know that's that's kind of my pick me up and it's like but if i had amaki in my yard that'd be even better <laughs> you know and i think i think as as they become more common and as we get more familiar with them i think it's going to help us um overall as well you know um and, and we yet, might not realize that we have these birds around us because we're not familiar. So until exactly. we get familiar with them, then we can say, hey, that's our Amakihi friend or that's our Elipayo friend. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, like I've had a lot of people tell me like, oh, I've never seen an Apapane before. I'm like, oh, where do you live? And they're like, oh, I live so and so in Puna. And I was like, you probably have them in your yard, you know, <laughs> like because they're, they're, they're there, you know, and they um, they just you just got it. Like you said, you just got to know what to look for. And especially with our native birds, you need to know what to listen for. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I would say like, I see probably 90% or I'm sorry, I hear probably 90% of the birds that I encounter and I only see about 10%. Wow. You know, like you, you don't, you don't see a ton of them, you know, and, and especially if you're not carrying your binoculars or something to help you see them, like they're there and then gone, you know, they're, they're pretty fast moving little, little birds. Um, but if you can get familiar with their sounds, that's to me is one of the most fun things. Cause no matter where you are, it's like, oh, there's an apapane or oh, there's an amakihi. You know, like you can be in mid conversation and be like, oh, there's a native bird, you know? And I, I do that a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not everybody should do that, but but it, it's definitely like a nice thing to know, you know, when you're in a place that, especially when you like aren't expecting them, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and even like, in places like Ka'u, you know, like Pahala area, there's like, as soon as you hit native forest, there's Amakihi. Um, or like down in uh, Waiohinu, um, there, like, as soon as you hit any Ohia area, there's Amakihi. Mm. You know, so it's, it's really nice to see. And like, it's, I think there's a lot of people that probably are around that bird that don't even know it, you know. Mm. So knowing that this is one of the birds that are doing better than some of our other Manu friends, um, what are some of the challenges that they might have had to overcome to to get to where they are now? Yeah, so for these ones, like we we hit on earlier, was disease. Disease was probably one of the major things that has has limited all of our native birds. So um, Amakihi somehow through their probably their so they're they're a generalist species, so they can eat a lot of things, 
and they're um, they're pretty productive. So they have a lot. They have quite a few chicks compared to other birds. They can have like three to four, um, whereas like more more threatened birds like Achiopola owl will only have one per mm. season, sometimes per year. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's where they kind of have the advantage where they're, they, they're kind of a, a live fast, die young species. So they have quite a few chicks and they only live like four to eight years. Um, whereas like some of our other birds, like, like Akepa, for in- instance, the oldest known Akepa was a female and she lived to be 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a tiny, tiny little bird, you know, so that's, that's almost unheard of for birds of that size. And typically the female birds live shorter than the males. So there's probably some 20, 20 year old male Akepa out there. Um, and so, whereas Amakihi, they're like the oldest Amakihi that I think was ever recorded was like 12, which is still pretty old, but most of them live about four to eight years. Um, so they, they live a little bit shorter, but have more chicks and that, that is one and they're generalists. And so that, those three things have helped them be able to deal with a lot of the, the changes that have occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've also been pretty good at taking advantage of like new food resources. So like, you'll see like Amakihi are really good at um, robbing like banana polka. So what they'll do, like that's a, it's a invasive passion vine. um, And it it has a long, long tubular pink flower with this really big pink frill. And instead of going in the flower, Amakihi just poke a hole straight in the side and drink the nectar (laughs) right out of the, out of the reservoir. (laughs) So, and that's, that's one way where they've just been like, ah, they just like figured out this new food. And then, um, one of my favorite things that I've seen Amakihi do is they actually love apples and they love plums. Mm-hmm. Um, so like around Mauna Kea, there's like, there'll be some planted plums or apples and the Amakihi, they'll just like poke a little hole in it and like just drink the juice out. And then one of my favorite pictures that I have is there's actually an Amakihi that has like excavated like a hole, a big <laughs> hole out of an apple and she's sitting in the <laughs> apple and drinking the juice out of it, you know? So it's really, it, it's pretty fun to see them take advantage of these non-native like, things. Happy, you know? happy, joy, oh. joy. Oh yeah. And there'll be like dozens of Amakihi in one fruit tree, you know? So it's pretty cool. <laughs> it kind of makes it like when you're trying to pick that fruit too, it's like, ah oh, man. But at the same time, it's really nice to see the, the, the native birds taking advantage of um, a new food resource Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that means they're just pretty smart yeah exactly and 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 i think that's the thing like even even some of our birds that are extinct you know they they like on on Kauai, they used to say that oh oh, we're a pest for for bananas you know it's like hard to imagine today but um our birds if we can help them you know get past these disease barriers or get past these predators they can they can really do it on their own you know it's just we we just need to provide that little bit of help and then these resilient species will take off and even some of our more threatened species will start to recover, you know, and that, that's all it really takes, you know, it's just the birds just need a little bit of a helping hand from us and, and they'll take it from there. It's really important for us to remember you know, that message that it just takes a little bit perhaps mm-hmm. to get them back on, back and running. Exactly. Yeah. One of the ways that is an avenue for people to help that isn't like, as well i think it's like it's very traditional but it hasn't been seen as a way that you can help birds in the past especially by management agencies is um we've been working in a group um called ahui manu and we uh we hakura mele called okalele ane auna um and it, it's an effort to really speak resilience into the birds and i think amakihi is the perfect example of that um in the mele um and so it we talk about, so first of all, it's, it's um, eia ae o amakihi. 
Manukupai a Naha o Uka. So here's the Amakihi, the supernatural bird of the uplands. And then Manuholu Nape Nape, resilient he who springs back. Amakihi Kaulana Ika Hoola Mai, famous famous one who overcomes disease. Ike Ia Mai Ke Kula Nui o Manoa. See you now in Manoa. So that's kind of a reference to the bird returning to Manoa on Oahu. And then Ai Pele Kunu Ma Molokai, all the way down to Palekunu. So it's, it's, it's living in Palekunu on Molokai. Um, mai Kalapana i Maku'u Puna. So in Kalapana and Maku'u in Puna. Um, and then we all get to its connection to the land and to the sea. And so, um, Hanao ka Amakihi Kani. And so that's where the Amakihi is born. And then, Kia'i i ka Mamo noho ikai. So the Amakihi is protected by the Mamo of the ocean, um, which is a type of fish that shares a lot of similarities to Amakihi, both ecologically and physically. And then, um, Ola a Maoloa i ka Ohelo noho i uka. And so that's where the uh, Amakihi has this connection to Ohelo in like in the mountains, particularly to Ohelo Kaolaau, um, because there's this really tight relationship between Amakihi and that species where um, Amakihi feed really extensively on the nectar of Ohelo. Um, and they're these little green bellflowers. And in that same process, the Amakihi is pollinating that flower. You know, so it's this it's a giving it, it's a giving and taking relationship for both of them. And then, um, Oka Amakihi Auna Lele A Pa'a Pa'a Hia. And that's just speaking to Amakihi going forward and continuing to um, thrive and survive. Um, and so I think that's uh, really what we're trying to do with this, with Ahui Manu and with speaking life back into these birds is just highlighting this resilience and highlighting all the connections to place and space and other species that our Manu represent. Mm, mahalo Nui for that. That very hopeful message and that and that only too. We really appreciate it. Mahalo for sharing that mele. Um something I'm wondering is is there different ways that our community members might be able to support these Manu friends that you um shared with us today? Uh yeah, absolutely. So I think I kinda touched on some of it, you know, like I think just taking taking opportunity to like bring these things on yourself, you know, where you can do your own trapping, you know, or another way that you can really um, work to benefit native birds is to volunteer with different organizations. You know, there's like Friends of Hakalau, Mauna Kea Forest Restoration Project, you know, all those places are um, actively restoring native forest for the for, for our native birds. And then um, another really big one is just planting native plants. Like I said before, it's just like that is that is one of the best things you can do all around for watersheds, for native birds, for native insects, you know, just getting native plants in the ground is, is huge. Um, and then I think, uh, like I've also said before, is just taking a moment to kilo manu, you know, even if it's non-native birds, even if it's nene at wailoa, you know, it's, it's, it's a way for you to become familiar with them again mm -hmm. and to see some of these relationships that we talk about in um, okalele aneauna, you know, like these are things that have come from people that have spent a lot of time with these birds. But if you just take a moment to kilo these species, you can see those relationships, you know? And so that's what I really encourage people to do. Um, those that are more familiar with mele maybe and less familiar with birds can really learn a lot. And then same thing too, those who are very familiar with birds and not so familiar with mele, a little bit more like myself, can learn a lot from the mele about the birds. You know, and I think that's where um, we can really 
and getting both of those people together is where I think we can just capture and experience so much more from what Manu have to offer. And that's what I'm really excited about with this and, and going forward in the future. Mahalo. Yeah, mahalo nui. Yeah, mahalo it's, for having me. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you with us again on Kaleo Kauluau, partnering with Ahui Manu. Um, we're super inspired by what you folks do and share, and we really um, support your commitment to our Manu friends. It's amazing. Mahalo nui. Yeah, mahalo again for having me and looking forward to a lot more people out there to experience the Manu. <laughs> mahalo nui to our meakipa, Brett Nainua Mossman. I appreciate how Brett emphasized the ways in which our Manu friends, despite all odds, are finding ways to ho'omau, to persevere. We should never underestimate their ability to demonstrate resilience, intelligence, adaptability, and mutual support. And we've got to support them too, in turn, at every turn. Aye, it's nice to kind of wrap up this season with some good news about our Manu friends, who are doing a little better but still need our kokua. Don't forget to follow Kaleo Kauluau on Facebook and Instagram to learn more. Also, give us a like and follow wherever you're listening to us. Check out our blog at hilo.hawaii.edu slash where you'll find episodes and some story maps. And to learn more about Brett, about Ahui Manu and our Manu friends, you can follow Brett on Instagram at birds underscore Hawaii underscore past present or on Facebook at birds of Hawaii past and the present. Mahalo, everyone. Mahalo. Ahui ho. Ahui ho. Aloha. Aloha.